We lost a great race car driver on January 30th, 2020, a beloved fundraiser for Riley's Children's Hospital and fierce advocate for colon cancer screening. John Andretti's accomplishments behind the steering wheel were only exceeded by his humanitarian efforts. With an unparalleled life and career to celebrate, I've assembled a podcast feature that makes 16 stops along the way, all told by those who knew him and loved him. His legendary uncle, Mario Andretti, said it best. Try to, to put together how many drivers have driven midgets on dirt, asphalt, sprint cars on dirt, asphalt, sports prototypes, indie cars, stock cars, and top fuel. You tell me who has done all that. No one. No one that I could ever remember. I mean, that I could ever put together. I mean, there's no way there's another one that has done all that. He's alone. He's alone there. In the eighth installment of Remembering John Andretti, we have Derek Walker, who hired John to drive for the factory Porsche IndyCar team in 1990 alongside Teo Fabi. All brought to you in the Marshall Pruitt podcast by the Justice Brothers, Cooper Tires, TorontoMotorsports.com and Bell Racing Helmets USA. Derek Walker, you had a mighty fine season in 1990 with young John Andretti as one of your two drivers in the final year of the Porsche IndyCar program. Obviously, I know you are saddened to learn of John's loss. And while we're trying to collect stories and memories and bring his life and career to those who maybe weren't aware of all the things that he did and did so well. would love if you could give us some thoughts about John and then take us back to 1990 and how you uh, received this pint-sized dynamo in this Porsche team that you were looking after. Yeah, well, uh, you know, I didn't uh, know John that well prior to him being selected uh, to come on as part of our second uh, car program on the Porsche Indy car uh, in 90. And, but, you know, quickly, once he was on board, um, we got on very well. He was the kind of person who would get on with just about everybody. He had a very open, um, normal sort of attitude towards everything. And uh, he fitted in really well in our team, uh, apart from the fact that uh, the Porsche IndyCar at that time in 90 uh, was made to optimize uh, drivers of Teo Fabi's size. And John fit that, fit that bill. So uh, not only did we have a, a driver who could drive and was a good uh, partner, uh, team member to tail but we had a driver who could fit in the car which it might sound a bit of an odd an odd requirement but uh, the 90 car was uh, was very small and um, you really you know you really had to get in there with a smaller driver I so, might be able to fit my right leg in there if I'm lucky yeah it was meant for a yeah. jockey sized drivers yeah, it was, you know, it was an optimum that somebody designed a car that that um, tried to take advantage of a, a lighter, smaller person and optimize the design of the car around those drivers. 
So we were very fortunate to have two drivers who fit not only fit the car, but they got on really well. And um, you needed to get on really well in those days because uh, the Porsche Indy car, the 90 car, was um, was just put it blankly, uh, bluntly, it was a bit of a beast. Uh, it really didn't work very well. And unfortunately, um, I think John got a good good opportunity to be with a, a, you know, a bigger team and a full season ride. But uh, the year was, uh, was a difficult one for design failures or mechanical issues with the car. And so the results that he was able to produce were somewhat dampened by, in fact, the whole team was dampened by the, the sheer slog of trying to dig our way out from under, um, uh, you know, a tough car, really, for that time of the uh, IndyCar racing. But, you know, his attitude was very, um, very mature. You know, he could still find something funny to laugh at, and he always had an affectionate laugh. Uh, it was a genuine laugh, but he, he sort of was was just, you know, put on the best face. But it didn't um, it didn't stop him from pushing as hard as he could and trying to get the results. You know, he's a very competitive uh, guy. Uh, you know, he see him as a nice guy but underneath that nice guy was somebody who drove as hard as he could and really pushed to uh, to bring home the results and uh, I had to admire him it was a frustrating year that he was with us um, but uh, he didn't uh, he didn't give up on it um, fought hard with it and you know got the admiration of the team and uh, it was uh, it could have been a heck of a lot worse with a driver with a different um, different mindset. And, you know, whenever there is results to pick up, there wasn't many, but whenever there was opportunity to pick up the results, uh, his his competitive nature, he, he would be there uh, if it all stayed together and he got the right breaks. But uh, it was a it was a tough, tough time. Uh, but you know when when you have that situation, it, it's pretty well you know the year is shot, and um, you know for every member of the team, let alone the driver, they put so much into it, and it can affect um, their whole attitude uh, going forward when they realise they're in for a long year with a an uncompetitive package. And and so it's really important, and the team feeds off the driver sure. reaction. It's really important to have that kind of maturity, who um, you know just keeps on pushing and keep on trying. And we we obviously kept on working on the car, but it really it really was a bad year. But uh, since then, you know, when he moved on. Um, uh, I'd meet him in the pit lane, and it's always the same John, friendly and full of, full of, uh, you know, just a genuine nice guy. And uh, his family were so, so supportive of him. And I always used to think, you know, at that time, a lot of the attention um, from an Andretti perspective was obviously Mario and Michael. 
they were, you know, the ones that most people talked about. And John was uh, sort of in the shadows. Uh, he probably didn't have the same opportunities uh, that came his way, but he didn't. Uh, it didn't seem to, you know, uh, affect him. He he. It's where he was, and you know, you hard work and perseverance. Uh, you you got to find your way and make your way, and that sort of attitude he had didn't. Uh, he didn't feel like the poor relation, you know, the one who, who was uh, not 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 able to do um, what the rest of the family were doing in racing, and but he he didn't. He didn't waver one little bit, and uh, he got a lot of a lot more out of uh, his racing career just because of his attitude and determination and very competitive nature he had. But uh, so we liked him a lot. You know, one thing that stands out, Derek, and nothing that I'm about to say is the least bit negative or critical of Teo Fabi. The opposite, coming into this 1990 season, Teo, despite being maybe at the latter stages of his career still the established name the established star having won for the team earned its one and only win the year before at mid-ohio in a much different and better march chassis but coming into this 1990 season john despite having a year and a half-ish of indycar experience through 1988 uh, that falling through moving to imsa to race with jim busby in a Porsche 962 there, wins the Rolex 24. That's great, but he wasn't exactly riding a high in terms of open-wheel results. Had demonstrated his talent and value to Porsche in sports cars. Um, Coming into this team, though, Teo was the established name, the established star. There on the right day, there weren't many folks who were faster than Teo Fabi, right? The, the results speak to that. Looking at the overall championship uh, picture from this 1990 season, though, and this is where I uh, was hoping you could share some insights as well. On the surface, you might think Teo, the established star, John, the newcomer to the team, been out of IndyCar for a little bit. Uh, you might think that John would naturally fall behind Teo in the points. You look, and he finished 10th in the standings, directly behind uh, the new Chip Ganassi Racing Team and their, quote, Rookie of the Year, Eddie Cheever in ninth. Teo was down in 14th. I mean, Teo had the team's best result there in 1990. He had a podium at Meadowlands. John, uh, by chance, happened to have the most consistent uh, front-running results, which helped move him up in the standings just a little bit of in front of Teo. So I'm not saying better than Teo. Not, you know, we're not getting into any of that. But I was really impressed at the end of the 1990 season, thinking he would definitely be behind Teo in every manner. That wasn't necessarily the case, though, right? He was able to show his value and speed uh, to the organization. He was by no means proven to be that, quote, number two driver. Yeah, no, you're right. Uh, I mean, actually, another fact, I uh, think back on that 90-year, uh, I think almost half of the races John had issues uh, that he raced in. He didn't have a, a clean slate and still ended up where he ended up. Yeah, I think when you look at Teo and John, they, they were quite different drivers. Teo, as you said, it was perhaps 
um, more naturally uh, uh, adapt to open wheel racing than John. He had come at it a little bit differently. But, you know, the results that he, he got uh, in that season was, was pure John. He just never give up. He's just such a hard worker, you know, he would just keep on slogging. As long as those wheels would turn, he, he would drive the wheels off of it. Um, and and that's, that's sort of never give up. And, you know, when one reflects on his ultimate competition with his health issues, again, he, he probably got more... Uh, out of life, even though his life has been cut short, but he got more out of it because of just, just guts, determination, never give up and keep trying, keep trying. And that was the way he drove the race car and not in a reckless way, always in a way that was within his uh, level of uh, ability to bring out the best. If he could get more out of it, he would. If it was... That's as far as she would run or as slow as or fast as she would go. Then that's what he would get out of it. And uh, so he was a very dependable driver. And I, I think, you know, how he got the drivers, Porsche saw him race that 962. And uh, they were uh, admired him. And, you know, we were open wheel guys. And, and Porsche came up with this name. What about John Andretti? as a second driver and like, yeah, okay, yeah, John and ready, let's give him a run, let's give it a try. And that they saw his ability in sports cars and he adapted to the Indy cars very quickly. And and again, uh, there's another difference between him and Teo is Teo was bitterly disappointed as we all were with uh, the the work that went into that car and the lack of results. And, you know, for him, it is the latter, as you say, the latter part of his career. Um, you know, every year counts. And when you get a year that you start the season and you already pretty well can predict how it's going to work unless somebody comes up with something magic, box of tricks that makes his car work, uh, you're pretty well stuck with it. And, mm. and Teo get very demoralized, as did John. But John dealt with it in a different way. And every time he got his helmet on, got into the car, he, he was going to give it everything he got. And uh, that sort of spirit that he had, that fighting spirit, I think, was uh, was a big part of what John Andretti was. And uh, I admired him for that. He was, And he, he always had a laugh. You know, he'd always... could always find the funny side of every, not always, but you always come up with a comical remark, even if it's, you know, the wheel fell off, he'd have a, a, a joke about it in a way just to kind of blow it off and let's get on and, and move on. And that, that attitude was uh, very typical of him, which, uh, you know, endeared him to a lot of people. A lot of people would work for a guy like that because it just uh, you admire their their ability and and you know he technically he would apply himself to it and uh, and really you know want to understand and contribute in the, in the process and he did so he was um, you know it's it's a damn shame he didn't get a 
the opportunity as much as some drivers um, uh, did. And uh, otherwise, I, I'm sure he could have done more with it. But uh, we'll uh, we have to look back on the on the fun memories of uh, the experience with him. And I only worked with him for a short period of time, but every time I saw him years afterwards in the pit lane, he was always working on something. There was always something that he was trying to do, whether it be helping young people or, you know, the Riley the hospital, you know. He, sure. was, he was a giver. He was a giver. But uh, now, you know, his family uh, have got to, got to deal with his loss and uh, probably uh, he's left a big hole there. I'm sure. One last point I'll make. I read Robin's article um, and I thought that was absolute typical John Andretti. When he talked about his illness, he didn't blame anybody else but himself. He said, if he, I think if I remember the article, that it was his fault because he didn't get the medical checkups early on in his life, colonoscopy. You know, get get those regular checkups that we all need to get. He didn't do that, and uh, he ended up uh, being, you know, finding out too late. But that was typical of John. You know, he wouldn't he, he wouldn't turn around and blame somebody else. He'd always, you know, take it on the chin and and uh, and, and own it. And that there's not many um, not many guys do that. And that was very unusual, and very typical for John. But uh, he'll be missed. Thank you for listening to Remembering John Andretti on the Marshall Pruitt Podcast. Brought to you by the Justice Brothers, TorontoMotorsports.com, Bell Racing Helmets USA, and Cooper Tires. If this is your first time listening, more than 900 episodes are available at MarshallPruittPodcast.com. We also have a subscribe page where Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and plenty of other listening options are readily available.